And if you have a financial question, any time of the day or night, call 1-888-6ADVICE. You can also email your questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. But if you have a financial question this morning during the show, you can call or text, if you prefer, our studio line, 651 461 9226. Again, 651-461-9226 for your calls or your text questions. And right now, the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer, this morning. Good morning, Bruce. Hello, Denny Long. How are you, my friend? I'm doing quite well on this uh, holiday uh, Sunday morning, and uh, it's good to hear your voice. I, I'm, I'm missing another one, though, and I'm, I'm not sure uh, what's missing here. <laughs> I think it's Peg. Uh, Peg Webb is taking uh, <laughs> a well-deserved day off for the holiday. Uh, many people listening to, to, to us right now, it might be Easter Sunday, and uh, we wish everyone uh, safety and happiness and a great day with, with families and loved ones uh, on this holiday season. And this is a little bit you know, old school. You, you and I yeah. started this. Uh, I think it's 25 years years ago now. I, I, we were ah. both younger men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. I think you're right. 25 years ago. Yeah, so and, January, and January of '97, we started just you and you and I. And over the years, we you know we added Peg and we made some uh, changes. And in, in the case of getting Peg on board, that was a definite improvement. And I've been. That's been pointed out to me many times over over the years, but but, but uh, Peg's not with us today. But hey, I want yeah. to thank you because you made it so easy for me when we first did this. I was a neophyte, didn't know anything about broadcasting or marketing, and you just made it so darn easy. And you and I, uh, I don't know if listeners care, but you and I became great friends. We broke bread together, we drank oh, yeah. wine together, and we have a great relationship. Oh, absolutely, and it, it's kind of hard to believe how quickly that uh, those 25-plus years have gone. But it's great to hear your voice, and we'll, we'll catch up with Peg when, when she comes back. But uh, what, uh, what are we going to be hearing today, Bruce? So, Danny, today I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that um, I, I say this a lot on the show, but I'm going to give something that people can sink their teeth into to back it up. And you shouldn't just take my word for really anything I say on the show. You can you can research and, and do your own homework if you don't want to take my word for it, and, and why would you? But I've often said on the show that, that people that use a financial advisor do better than those that don't. And I know there's people even listening right now that are saying, well, you think that because you're a financial advisor, you can't be objective. And it's true. I can't be objective, um, but I'm going to give people some things that they can look up to, to validate or, or, or add uh, credibility to, to what I'm saying. Um, but if you, if you accept this premise, um, and maybe you don't yet, um, then you'd have to ask why most Americans still don't use an advisor. Because the truth is, most people still try to do this on their own. They don't get professional help. And again, I think the evidence is very compelling that folks that do use an advisor do better than those that don't. Now, why do I think that? And again, people would say I can't be objective because I'm an advisor. Well, I would argue that the reason I became an advisor is because one of my core values is to do meaningful work and I knew that, that what I did was something that, that could help people. And I did my research before I even became an advisor. So the examples I'm going to give today are just some that I'm aware of, that I've read before, seen before. But I think there's, there's, there's a ton of other stuff out there if people want to go look for it. So um, 
Princeton uh, University, they did research in 2014, the Princeton Survey of Research uh, Associates. Um, that's a study that people can look up if they, if they want to. There's a company out of Chicago called Delbar, D-A-L-B-A-R. Delbar does a ton of research on this subject. Delbar is not a financial advisory firm. They are a research firm that compares the results of people that use an advisor with those that don't, and they've got all kinds of data. Um, another one that people might have heard of before that has credibility, Barron's Magazine did a, did a comprehensive study a few years ago, and they printed it and published it uh, in their magazine. Um, uh, here's a name that a lot of people know, Vanguard. In 2019, Vanguard did a study, and they, again, very detailed. There's a lot of stuff in, that, in the study, but the bottom line kind of that I want to share is uh, Vanguard concluded that advisors add, and, and from a compliance standpoint, I don't know if I can actually say a number, so I won't, but advisors add a certain percentage rate of improvement on the investment portfolio every year. Um, and, they, and I'm quoting directly now from the survey, based on cogent wealth management through financial planning, discipline, and guidance, rather than trying to time the market. Um, Schwab has, has researched this and studied this. Um, get, get a load of these numbers. Schwab this, uh, did a uh, study, survey, and found that people that have a financial plan, uh, 47% never have a credit card balance. They pay their, make their payments on time or have no debt. As compared to people that don't have a financial plan, only 29%, so an 18% difference. People that have a financial plan, 65% have a rainy day fund or an emergency fund as compared to only 33% of people that haven't done financial planning. Um, people that have a financial plan, 71% are aware of fees and investment costs as compared to only 45% for those that don't have a plan. And here's a big one. Uh, those that have a financial plan, 87% regularly rebalance their portfolio compared to only 63% rebalance those that don't have a plan. So these things that people with a plan do are going to add value to, to, the, to the, uh, the rate of return on their investments. But additionally, what, what I often will say is that if someone really wants to be a do-it-yourselfer, if someone wants to manage their own investments, I'm not going to tell you it's rocket science or it's, it's brain surgery. You, you can do it, but there's, there's, you have to put a lot of time into it. You can't be casual about it. You have to do a lot of research. You have to know a lot of things. You have to look at things across the globe on a daily basis. And most people don't have that kind of time, even, and, and most people don't have that kind of interest. And even if you have the time and the interest and the intelligence, the other thing that I always point out is you, when you make emotional decisions, so now you're managing your money, and do you ever make decisions based on emotion? In 2008, how many people listening to me right now, even though if, if I said, do you understand the idea of buy low and sell high, they would say, yes, I absolutely understand that, buy low and sell high. How many of you that say you know that sold in 2008 because you were fearful? You made an emotional decision based on fear, and sometimes the job of the advisor is just to protect people from themselves. People can't get out of their own way when they make emotional decisions. And Peg, when she is here, 
talks a lot about herself feeling, you know, some of the same pressures that her clients feel. And she needs, you know, her, our investment management team that run our portfolios to kind of, you know, protect her from herself also. So there's all this evidence out there. Del Bar, Barron's Magazine, Princeton Research, Vanguard, uh, Schwab, all kinds of research out there. P- people can go Google, look it up. Don't take my word for it. But then I always tell people, uh, just use a basic common sense test. And what I mean by that is, Think of somebody, either somebody that maybe you know in your world that's real, that you know is really financially successful, or think of somebody famous, uh, Elon Musk, uh, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, whoever you think of. Now ask yourself, do they do this by themselves? And the answer is no. The super wealthy, the people that we aspire to be like, Warren Buffett has got all these fans. He doesn't do this by himself. These people not only have an advisor, they have teams of advisors working for them. So financially successful, financially smart people use professional advisors. They get professional help. They do not try to do this by themselves. So, if again, if that gets us to a place where maybe you can accept the premise that people that use an advisor do better than those that don't, and again, I get that some people – are never going to believe that. That's and, and that's okay. I get that. But but if you are if I if I've done anything or if your own research after this show convinces you that you know an advisor might be worth it, then you know Wealth Enhancement Group would would be honored and flattered if you'd consider uh, interviewing us. But but that really leads to the question. So you're listening out there right now. And you don't want to just call Wealth Enhancement Group. You don't, you don't want to just, you know, I'm doing a commercial now. I, I would tell you, you know, that's fine. You should go do your own due diligence and look at a lot of advisors. But how do you, if, if you decide that this is a good idea to use an advisor, engage an advisor, how do you go about choosing one? And I always tell people that I think, number one, if you can get a referral from somebody whose opinion matters to you. It might be a friend, might be a relative, might be a coworker, or maybe it's another professional that you work with. Maybe it's uh, your tax preparer, or maybe it's the lender that you got a loan from, or your, or your realtor, or, or somebody. But if you can get a referral from somebody that, who has credibility with you, then, then you go interview that, that advisor. And I, and I encourage everyone to interview more than one person, to interview two, three, four, and you'll—I think you'll know when it feels right. The the tricky part about this is, Denny and listeners, when you when you do this, I think all advisors are pretty smart people, and they know how to say the right thing, and they know how to make a good impression. And unfortunately for the consumer, there's no way to measure anything or verify anything until you take a leap of faith and you actually engage in a relationship. And then, and only then, you, can you discover, do they do what they told you they were going to do? If they do, great, you found your advisor. If they don't, it's time to go search again. But uh, I, think, I think it starts with a referral and then it's an interview, and then people say, well, what kind of questions should I ask? I think that matters less than just the relationship as you're chatting. Do they seem interested in you, or do they only seem interested in your money? Do they seem to care about what what you care about? Because to me, 
that's the key of a good advisor. My, my advice to people is going to be driven by their goals and objectives, which is driven by their core values. What makes them tick? What's important to them? What age do they want to retire? What kind of lifestyle do they aspire to? Do they want a second home? Do they want to travel? Do they want to help their kids and grandkids? Do they want to volunteer? Do they want to give to their church or charity? Those things all are important for me to know, and the answers to those questions are definitely going to change my advice. So I'm segueing into something here, Danny. When we talk about financial advisors adding value, it's not just about a better ROI on your investment portfolio. In fact, I started to go down this road, and as I often do, I distracted myself. I was saying a few minutes ago, someone, you know, this isn't rocket science or brain surgery. Somebody that wanted to devote a lot of time to this and is pretty intelligent and, and does the research and can make unemotional decisions could probably manage their money and get a, uh, an ROI on their investment. Not that different than if you engage a financial advisor. Sometimes the value added of the advisor is in all the other things beyond investment results, like reducing your taxes by certain strategies. Maybe Roth conversion makes sense. By doing future value forecasting or analysis of when and how should I draw my Social Security benefit, or I've got different options on my old pension. How do I take that? I'm not sure. Can a financial advisor help me there? So it's all these other things that I lump under the category of comprehensive financial planning that for most people, probably the advisor adds more value there than just the rate of return on your investment portfolio. But frankly, I think it's both. But the rate of return on your investment portfolio is more quantifiable. These, this other stuff, if somebody, you know, uh, if we do a future value forecast and we tell them they can retire at age 62 like they wanted to, how do you place a price tag on that? That clearly has value for them, but I don't know how to quantify that value, but, but it certainly matters to them. So, um, again, you get a referral, you do an interview, and what I would look for in a financial advisor is someone independent. I don't want them to have their own proprietary investment products or their own widgets, if you will. I want them to be completely independent. And I want them to be a fiduciary. I want them to work for me. Um, as, as many listeners know, and we've talked about this on the show before, in the financial services industry, there's basically two standards. There's the suitability standard, and there's a lot of good advisors that work under the suitability standard, but then there's the fiduciary, where the advisor actually works for you, not Wall Street, must always give their best possible advice that's best for you, um, independence and a fiduciary would be two key things that, that I would look for. And then it's also important, Denny and listeners, to understand how the advisor gets paid. And, it, and, and on some level, it doesn't matter. Um, and what I mean by that is because listeners might be going, what do you mean it doesn't matter? Of course it matters. It, it doesn't matter in terms of um, the key is net of cost are you better off with that advisor than without? When I have an introductory meeting with a potential new client, I always tell them at that meeting, it doesn't matter how you pay us, because at Wealth Enhancement Group, there's a variety of different things that we can do and, and make it work for the client. But I always tell the prospective client, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your fee is or how you pay us. What matters is, 
can we demonstrate to your satisfaction over a reasonable period of time that you're better off with us than, than without us? And if we can't do that, you should fire me, frankly. And, and so fortunately, knock on wood, that I don't get fired very often. And I think we do demonstrate to clients that they are uh, better off with, with us than before they had us and they and they realize that and they can they can they can see the value they can feel the value they sleep better at night they they pursue uh things they like to do instead of sit at a computer and try to do research and and uh, worry about their money they delegate that responsibility uh to us and, and it allows them to enjoy life more and 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 do things that that, that uh matter more to them spend more time with grandkids pursue their hobbies travel and so forth so again, with all this, um, and, I, and I'll wrap up, and, and uh, I know the, uh, when we come to a break here, then we'll try to turn the second half wide open for questions the whole second half. So I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up. So with all this, um, why then don't people use an advisor? If anything I just said or people take what I said again, go look at Delbar, go look at Vanguard, go look at Princeton, go, go look at Barron's Magazine, do your own research. If 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 I'm so certain, if the evidence is so compelling, the people that use an advisor do better than those that don't, why then are people still not using advisors? Because they're not. And I haven't, honestly, Denny and listeners, I haven't seen a lot of data or studies done on this about why people don't. I've seen a little bit. So my little list here is almost my own personal experience, and I think it's probably pretty accurate. But I, I got to acknowledge that this is my list, and I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't do this research or get this from uh, from Delbar or, or, or Barons or or Vanguard. This is from me. But I think the biggest thing is people think they can do this themselves. So the same person that might say, "I don't feel well. I'm going to go to the doctor," or "I have a toothache. I'm going to go to the dentist." or we, the, the shower is leaking all over the place, I need to call a plumber, those same people go, well, I can handle my money by myself. I don't need anybody to help me. And it just defies logic. They get, they get experts in, in other areas of their life, but yet when it comes to personal finance, they don't think they need one. Or some people just are do-it-yourselfers in everything, and they're actually good at it. They can fix their own pipes, and they can uh, do their own uh, uh, carpentry work at home, although I, I don't think they should be uh, fixing their own teeth or diagnosing their own illness. I think they need still need a, a dentist or a doctor for that. But So I think a lot of people just think they, they can do this themselves. Um, I think another reason is I think people sometimes are embarrassed if, they're, if they think their situation isn't very good or they haven't done a good job, they're embarrassed to show it to somebody. And that should never be a reason. I'm never going to laugh at anybody or mock anybody or say that you made bad choices or, you know, I, I'm just, I'm never going to do that. We're going to treat you respectfully and we're going to give you ideas that we think can help you. Uh, and we're not going to dwell on things that you've done before you came to see us. So embarrassment should never be a reason. I wrote down they don't know who they can trust, and that's a big one. There, there are horror stories in this industry about people that do what I do that were bad dudes and did bad things and took advantage of people, and it taints all of us. And, and so how do you know who you can trust? And that's why I go back to where I started. If you can get a referral from somebody who has credibility to you 
and then you know do do the back you know do your homework do your research you can look into your advisor and see if they've ever been fined or suspended or they've had any you know issues in their past that's pretty easy to do that so do your homework and and again trust your instincts but trust is a big one you've got to be able to trust your advisor and then finally this idea of paying or cost i think a lot of do it yourselfers are do it yourselfers cuz they don't want to pay for whatever the service is, whether it's, you know, a plumber or a carpenter or financial advisor. And, and they'll say, well, gee, that financial advisor, let's say that it's a 1% fee. That means they've got to improve my rate of return more than 1% to pay for themselves to give me a better net net. And that's true, but we do that. And, and, and generally speaking, we do that. And the research is out there. Vanguard, of all people, did that research. So, yes, there is a cost to engage a financial advisor, but at the end of the day, your net net should be better with them than without them, and they should be able to verify that. And the research out there indicates that's true. All right, I know we need a break, but second half, all questions, the whole half. Very good. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, And as we uh, head to the break, uh, to alert our listeners, if you uh, can't call or text right now, you can always do that any time of the day or night at 1-888-6ADVICE. Again, 888-6ADVICE. You can always email your questions to yourmoneyandwealthenhancement.com. But if you do have a financial question right now, you can call or text our studio line 651 461 9226. We'll be back with Bruce Helmer and more of your money. Stay with us. If you have a financial question any time of the day or night, you can call 1-886-ADVICE. You can also email those questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. And today you can call or text our studio line. We've cleared the phone lines. If you'd like to call Bruce, 651-461-9226. And here once again, the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Danny Long. And folks, uh, thanks for being with us right now. If you are joining us late, the first half of the show, we talked about uh, people that use a financial advisor do better than those that don't. And to the cynics that would look at me and say, you can't be objective. You're a financial advisor. Let's, let's, let's say you're right. Do your own research. I gave you a bunch of places you can go look. You can go look at the 2019 Vanguard study. You can go look at Barron's Magazine uh, research. You can go look at uh, a company called Dalbar. Uh, there's a lot of places you can go look and and find out this is not just me or financial advisors saying this. There's been a lot of research done that people that use an advisor do better than those that don't. And then if you sec- accept that premise, and I know some of you won't, how do you go about uh, uh picking a a financial advisor, and I think it's important to interview more than one, get a referral if you can from somebody you trust, and take your time and and make sure that uh, you feel comfortable. And then, unfortunately, I I always say you got to take a little bit of a leap of faith. You don't know until you're actually in the relationship if they're going to do exactly all the things they told you they were going to do, because we all tell a great story up front, and most of us will, you know, will deliver on that, but but some won't. Um, so um, you, if your experience is good, you've got a permanent home with your advisor. If your experience is not good, you start looking again. But uh, please, I hope people will uh, will realize um, that it's just the, the evidence is overwhelming, that those that use an advisor do better than those that don't. Those that have a plan do better than those that don't have a plan and just try to wing it through life. So 
so, Denny, let's get let's you know, texts and calls, and I got some emails. Let's uh, let's let's take questions and let that drive the show from here. Very good, Bruce. Uh, again, uh, our phone number is six five one four six one nine two two six. You can also send a text via that as well. Speaking of phones, uh, let's grab a call. I think uh, Rich is on the line to ask you a question this morning. Uh, Rich, you're on with Bruce Helmer. I am. Thank you very much. And good morning. I have a question about iShares. I've recently become aware of them and that they have a very good interest rate. And I wondered uh, if you would comment on them as a part of my investment portfolio. I think thanks, Rich. Thanks for listening and thanks for calling in. I think when you when you when you say iShares, I think what you're talking about is uh, I bonds or inflation adjusted bonds, and I like them a lot, and I always have in in terms of the bond part of your portfolio. But I particularly like them right now. Everybody listening to me right now knows that we are in a in an inflationary period. We've we've gone. A lot of years without much inflation. We've been very fortunate, but that's not normal. Inflation, you know, will rear its ugly head from time to time, and it is right now. And so, it, when when we have inflation and we have uh, rising interest rates, that normally does not bode well for bonds. And, and a lot of people don't understand this. Bonds have an inverse relationship to interest rates, bond prices. So here, here's a way oversimplified example. Let's say that you bought a bond for a price of $10 a share, and it's got a 3% yield. But interest rates have gone up, and now the prevailing rate is 4 Nobody's going to buy your bond for $10 a share to get 3 if they can spend $10 a share and get 4 So you would have to sell your bond if you wanted to sell it at less than $10 a share to get somebody to buy it to get that lower interest rate. But inflation-protected uh, bonds will actually adjust their, their rate up uh, as rates rise to protect you from that inflationary pressure that you'd normally have with bonds. So, I, so we like them, and they're part of our uh, broadly diversified portfolios. But if you try to go get them as an individual investor, it's a little tricky to get them, and you're limited on how much you can buy. It's it's not just carte blanche, go get as much as you want. And I don't remember where the restrictions are, but it's there. I like them, and I like them as part of a broadly diversified portfolio to hedge your bet with stocks or equities. Um, but it, then, the, then the question becomes, you know, how much do I have? And I would not tell somebody to, today to sell all your stocks and put it all in, in iShares or iBonds, but as part of a broadly diversified portfolio, I like it a lot. Bruce, we've had a couple of questions. Maybe I can just summarize in fi- as far as finding a financial advisor. You, you use the word fiduciary, and you've also, uh, and I know working with you all these years, you, you, you can't say certain things, and you've used the word compliance. I guess what the listeners are asking about, uh, who's regulating you and why can't you say certain things, I guess is yeah, the way to put that's it. Yeah, that's really, that's a good question, Danny, and and. Um, and and I I try really 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 hard to to stay within the the, the regulations and rules of the industry, and in terms of who monitors us, there it's it's multiple bodies, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, 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 
and, and and other regulatory agencies. I'm drawing a blank now on who else out, out there is paying attention. But everybody in, this, in, in our industry, in the securities industry, industry, has compliance officers to look at, at the rules and regulations and try to make sure that we follow those. And, they, and, they, and they're particularly concerned about something like this because it's one thing if an advisor in a one-on-one meeting in an, unintentionally, inadvertently says something that might be misleading to a potential client, but it's a whole other thing, if I say that, on a radio show to thousands of people. So, you know, they, they monitor and they listen to, read, to the broadcasts, and, and I try to really, really, really be careful. But it's so there's, there's regulatory agencies within the industry that, that monitor, and then we self-monitor with our own compliance department. So everyone affiliated or associated with Wealth Enhancement Group has compliance people, and Wealth Enhancement Group has compliance people. So, yeah, the, and, and where that came up in the first half of the show, if you look at the Vanguard study that I referenced, they actually give a specific number. They say that a good advisor can add X percent per year to your ROI, and I don't think I can say that. And, and again, maybe I can, but I choose to err on the side of caution, so I didn't. But people can go look that up. Vanguard does uh, identify a specific number that I did not say. So um, maybe sometimes I'm more careful than I need to be. Sometimes I have put my foot in my mouth and uh, compliance people let me <laughs> let me know. But um, in the in 25 plus years. Uh, fortunately, knock on wood, I haven't had too many issues, so I think I've tried to do a good job. Very good. We have an open line if you'd like to call and chat with Bruce. Your financial questions, 651-461-9226. Here's a text that came in a few minutes ago, Bruce. Can you use HSA funds to pay health insurance premiums? Texter said, I thought I heard Minsure advertise this. Of course, that's our state uh, insurance. Yeah. So, and, and before I answer that, I just want to go back to the last one that you brought up. Um, again, this is all about protecting the consumer. Compliance and and regulatory bodies, you know, want to make sure. I, I said in the first part of the show that there's been bad guys in this industry, as there are in all walks of life, and we're trying to protect consumers from misinformation or, or, or false, you know, statements or misleading statements. So again, it's you walk a fine line, and uh, and and um, I'm I'm glad you know those folks exist and and uh, keep us safe, keep everybody safe, keep us out of trouble, and and protect consumers. Um, HSA's health saving health savings accounts. As you first said that, my first thought. Well, first let me tell everyone what they are. So, a health savings account, and we've talked about them a lot in this show, but I can't talk about them too much. I love them. These are investments or savings accounts that go along with a high deductible health insurance plan. You can't participate in a health savings account unless you have a high deductible plan. A lot of people maybe should not have a high deductible plan, but if you're in a situation where you know you don't have little kids anymore and you don't you know have a need to go to the doctor much, you don't spend much money on health care, and a high deductible plan makes sense for you, then you can get one of these health savings accounts. And what I like so much about them is that. Uh, you get a deduction for the contribution, just like you would on a traditional IRA, 
Whatever I put into my HSA, I get to deduct that from my taxable income, and it reduces my tax liability the year that I make the contribution. And then when I take a withdrawal, as long as it's for a qualifying health care expense, I don't pay any taxes on the gain, just like a Roth IRA. So I get the benefits of both traditional IRA and Roth IRA all in one savings account, which is really, really cool. And if I pay for things out of my pocket, the, the small stuff, I have the HSA, but I don't use it for this and I don't use it for that. I'm waiting till I have my knee replacement or my hip replacement surgery for the big ticket items. And if I never have a big ticket item, but I paid for a bunch of small stuff over the years, as long as I can document that, I can still go get reimbursed for my out-of-pocket expenses with a tax-free withdrawal to pay myself back. So these things are really cool. They're really powerful. Now, as you read that, my first thought was, no, you can't use it to pay premiums. But now I, I feel less confident when the second part of the question was, I thought I heard a commercial through, through MinShare. So I want to double check that. My first instinct was, no, you can't use it that way. But um, the second part of your question made me less confident. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to vow to come back and, and clarify that next week. All right, very good. Again, here's our phone number, 651-461-9226. Same number applies to your text question. Here's another one. It's a gift question. If a parent wants to pay down on their child's mortgage, they give a figure of $100,000. Is there a tax as if it's a gift? Um, yeah, if you... So here's what you're allowed to do on an annualized basis in terms of gifting. You can gift anybody you want $16,000 per year, and there's no tax consequence. They don't have to report the income. You don't have to report you know, the fact that you made that gift. There's, there, there might be a form that you fill out or something, but there's no, there, there's no real tax consequence as long as that gift is $16,000 a year or less. But just to be clear, you can make that gift. Um, so if, 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 if my child is married, I can make a $16,000 gift to my child and to my child's spouse for a total of 32000 And then maybe my spouse can also make a gift to our child and our child's spouse. So it can actually be $64,000 in a year. Um, if it's more than that, there's going to be some sort of tax reckoning. doesn't mean you can't do it, but it, it's no longer within the parameters of how much you can gift per year without any tax consequence. So, um, it, but, if, but on the other hand, if they didn't need that 100000 to pay down the loan all at once, if it was something that you were doing gradually, you could certainly do half of it in one tax year and half of it in the next tax year and not have any tax consequence. But then you get into other issues. Um, the lender, to, to determine whether or not someone can afford the home and, can, and for the underwriter, to, you know, when they do their due diligence to make sure they want to give the loan, if there's suddenly a lot of a lot of money, they're going to want to know where that money came from. So again, it, it gets it gets trickier than just can I do this or can I not do it. You can do anything you want to do, but there but if it's that big all at once, there's going to be some tax issues to deal with, 
and there may be some issues with with uh, the lender in terms of you know all, where'd all this money come from? All of a sudden, this wasn't in your bank account before. So I wouldn't tell them not to do it. I would tell them um, be ready for some uh, maybe some little uh, little things to deal with. Bruce, a listener was is asking about uh, if they want to uh, transfer funds. They don't give any details over to Wealth Enhancement Group. Uh, what's the process if they basically want to shift their uh, their you know their come from wherever they are to wealth enhancement? Is that a difficult process? I guess they're asking. Yeah, it's so it's it's not. But let me let me elaborate on that. It's not difficult. But first of all, we're a fiduciary, and we must give our best possible advice. And sometimes that advice is you should not reposition assets to us. And you might say, really, why would you say that? Well, maybe the investments that individual is in are appropriate for their circumstances, and we don't think we would do anything better or different. And why, why move it to us if we're going to do the same thing? There should be a value-added reason to reposition assets. So number one, if we like what we see, we will tell the individual, we like what we see, we don't think you should reposition to us. A second reason might be we don't really like what we see, but there's some sort of a detrimental impact if you move that. It might be um, uh, there's a lot of embedded gains in the portfolio if it's not an IRA or a Roth IRA. And if you reposition that to us or anybody else, you're basically selling and then reinvesting, and you're going to recognize those gains and those taxes, and that would be as far as I'm concerned, if I told you to do that, that's malpractice on my part if I uh, subject you to a huge tax bill. Or maybe it's not taxes. Maybe it's some sort of uh, deferred sales charge. Maybe it's B-share funds or, or annuities or something that if you leave early, there's a fee on the back end. We're not going to subject somebody to a fee to reposition their funds to us. So number one, if we recommend a repositioning to us, there should be a very valid, compelling reason that we can give you that you can see that it's in your best interest. And if you don't see it, you shouldn't do it. In fact, if we can't if prove and feel really strongly that it is in your best interest, we're not going to recommend you, that you do it. But then if we think it's a good idea and you think it's a good idea, doing it is relatively easy, and there are ways to do it with, without you know, negative effects. And, and uh, it's a relatively simple process. I always tell people, you just have to be able to sign your name on a couple of forms. We'll do pretty much everything else for you. We will not sign your name. That You talk about compliance. That's a no-no. That's called forgery. That could, that could get you in a lot of trouble. So we try, to, we try to hold clients' hands and make the process easy, and it's a relatively simple thing, and we do it nearly every day where we reposition assets from one place to another. But, again, if there's a detrimental impact to you, then we're not going to suggest that repositioning uh, in the first place. Okay. This listener says, I recently met with a Wealth Enhancement Group advisor and received our review and ready to start working together. My question, they say, is how often will my portfolio be reviewed? That's a great question. And, and um, Texter, if you're listening, thank you for engaging us. And I have no idea where or who, and, but, but thank you. So the, the question I thought they were going to ask is not the question they asked. So I thought, what, as you were reading it, Danny, I thought you were going to say, how often do we sit and have review meetings? And that's going to vary a little bit 
based on the advisor and the specific situations of the client. But I would say at a minimum, we like to sit with clients at least once a year and a lot of clients more frequent, more frequently than that. A lot of my clients come in every six months. Some even come in quarterly. So that that's just that's face to face time. There might be a lot of other touch points in between those face to face meetings. But in terms of how often the portfolio is reviewed, and people are I, I know they're going to accuse me of embellishing. Every day, every day the market is open, our investment management team is looking at over 75 markets around the globe on a daily basis and looking at those portfolios to see whether or not they think adjustments need to be made. Now, Danny, over the years, since the inception of Wealth Enhancement Group, at these review meetings that I talk about, on occasion, I've had clients say, hey, what am I paying you guys for? You didn't change anything in my portfolio last year. Well, just because we didn't change anything doesn't mean we weren't watching it. We didn't change anything because we didn't think it made sense to change anything. We still watch it, and we literally look at it every day the market's open. And I've also had people on review meetings say, gosh, I'm getting a ton of confirmations. You're making a bunch of moves in my portfolio. Did you have it screwed up at first? And the answer is no, not necessarily, but changing circumstances changed our thought process, or maybe we did tax loss harvesting, or maybe we did rebalancing or whatever. So we made changes to the portfolio. So I don't know how often we'll make changes. That's going to vary from year to year and portfolio to portfolio, but they are all watched constantly all the time, and that's a huge value added. And the reason we're able to do that, by the way, so Wealth Enhancement Group has some, uh, I, wa- I don't know, I want to say over 30,000 clients, $60 billion in assets under management, something like that. We do not have 30,000 unique customized portfolios for every client. We have roughly 120 different what we think are efficient asset allocation models, all-weather portfolios that we think we've got something for everybody. So if, if we make a change to your portfolio, uh, we not only make it for you, but we make it for the other 1,700 clients that are in the same portfolio you are. We can keep our arms around 120. We could never keep our arms around 30,000 or 40,000 or whatever our clients are. So the short answer is literally we review those portfolios every day the market's open. Bruce, I know we're almost out of time. We have less than two minutes now uh, to go. Uh, are there any last uh, thoughts uh, you can mention before we uh, we come back next week? Well, I, a really quick one. I, I got an email question this week that someone said to me, um, the S&P 500 was up over 25% last year, but I wasn't. And I want to tell th- that person and anybody else that shouldn't matter unless your goal was to match the S&P 500. But chances are you have other asset classes in your portfolio, including bonds or other types of stock other than domestic large caps. So you have to compare apples to apples when you're looking at your performance. And almost nobody's going to be comparing exactly to the Dow or exactly to the S&P. All right, very good. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I guess uh, we'll just uh, plan on coming back again next week, right, and answering more questions. And Peg will be back. She will be back next week. Excellent, Bruce. Always a pleasure, Bruce. Have a good week. Enjoy the, the holiday wherever you may be, and uh, we'll have another uh, Your Money next week. Thanks so much, Bruce. Uh, if you, you too, uh, to all of our listeners. Yep. Th- thank you, Bruce. 
Uh, if you have a financial question, again, uh, you can call anytime, uh, 24-7, 1-888-6-ADVICE. Again, that's 1-888-6-ADVICE, any time of the day, 24-7. You can also email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, uh, 888-6-ADVICE. That's the phone number you can use for uh, your financial question if you think of something midweek. Again, we'll pick up on your email questions as well. Just send those to your money at wealthenhancement.com. We do hope you enjoy your week and come back again next week with more of your money. 